Welcome to the Send and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Louis Nichols. In my day job at Sparkloop, I spend all my time helping the best newsletter operators and media brands in the world to grow their audiences. So I get to see firsthand what growth tactics, strategies, and channels actually work, which ones you should copy, and what mistakes you should avoid. And now, with this podcast, you get that access too. Every week, I sit down with a different guest, from industry experts to successful operators, and we go deep on the stuff that you need to know so you can become really effective at growing and monetizing your email audience. Today, I'm joined by Pat Trousdale of The Daily Upside, a daily newsletter bringing you the most important and engaging stories in business. Pat was one of our very first customers at Sparkloop, back when his newsletter had less than 30,000 subscribers. Since then, The Daily Upside's audience has exploded, with the newsletter being opened by the equivalent of a major city full of people every day. Pat, thank you so much for joining me today. Why don't we start at the very beginning? Where did those first few subscribers for The Daily Upside come from? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure this story will sound very familiar to listeners and other operators, right? The first thing you do is you hop into whatever ESP you're using is try to assemble as big as big of a list as you can from your personal dealings and your, your business dealings before you started the newsletter. You know, you call up those second cousins who you haven't talked to in a couple of years and add them to a list of your, your first send. So for me, that was around, I want to say 250 people that the first newsletter went out to. And I'm sure it's still one of our best, best open rate days. So yeah, that, that's kind of how it, it went for us. Just similar stories saying out to as many people as we could to try to start building from as big of a base as we could. Nice. Yeah. And what did you do then to get to the, the first thousand subscribers? Because I think one of the interesting things is the daily upside at its core, it really is a news product. And I find news newsletters really, really interesting in that if you look at most newsletters out there, for the early days, they have this one really big advantage, which is that you can create an effect like a lead magnet, right? You can create like a one standalone piece of really good content. You can share that with people that can go, you know, all over the place and people can find it and download it and then enter the list that way. With a news product, you can't create like a 10 minute download of the best news ever, right? <laughs> Nobody wants that. So you've kind of really got to hook them on on the news basically, right? There's nothing else that you can kind of give them to incentivize them to sign up. It's just, they've got to want the newsletter. So so where did those next 750 or so subscribers come from? Where did number, number 1,000 come from? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's definitely true. We are certainly a news product. We, we cover breaking news, but I think we, we've always kind of characterized ourselves as trying to deliver not only details on what's happening, but to those news events into broader trends, broader themes in a way that's useful for investors. So certainly in the early days, we did play around with some lead magnets around the theme of investing, but it never really exploded to, oh, here's a huge lead magnet we want to push on social and put money behind. It was very challenging and humbling in the early days, as I'm sure a lot of people experience where you're spending pretty much all of your waking hours trying to just put together content that's going to be worth reading for the people that you do have. And then guess what? It's 8 p.m. and <laughs> you need to figure out how to get more subscribers. So certainly daunting, but I think 
coming from my background, which was finance and investment banking, I, I kind of had a sense that I was going to try to run this as a business from the very early days. And I was fortunate to, you know, had some stability for a decade where I was willing to take some risks out of the gate and do some paid acquisition, really just to, to get it to a point where I could assess how will complete strangers view this product? Will it be worth people's time whose last name is not Truesdale, right? So we started in the pretty, pretty early days experimenting on Instagram with creators and influencers in kind of the financial community. And that's where we, I'm sure, saw our next 750 subscribers from channels like that. Interesting, interesting, because it's it's one thing, I, I would say you're almost one of the, the better kept secrets of Twitter, right? You are on social media, but you don't have a, a massive following relative to me. If you look at other people who are the, the owners, the big, big newsletters, uh, they tend to you know, have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. I think I, I took a look just before and I think you're at 232 now. So hopefully after this, we can boost that up a little bit. But still, I mean, you know, your Twitter was not driving growth, right? Certainly not. I, I mean, <laughs> I still have no real significant presence on, on social media. And frankly, nor does the daily upside in the way that we envision over the long term. Certainly we have more followers than I do personally, but we're still in the very early days of repositioning our content in a way that will expand our reach on, on social. It simply has not been a major focus of ours. So I, I think you're right. I think we have grown pretty quietly over the last couple of years. Which is amazing. And it, it is, it's unusual. I, I want to dig a bit more into that, like looking at how you've grown to this point, because there are very few who've done that without having like very pro prolific creators on social media who've really been driving a lot of those those subscribers. Now you're at, I don't know if you share the numbers, I think approaching 300,000 subscribers, is that right? Yep, just about 300,000 yeah. subscribers. Can you share a bit of the detail around like where subscriber growth is coming from today? What, like a maybe like a channel by channel kind of breakdown roughly of, of what that looks like? So I'd, I'd say it, it's definitely evolved over the last two years. I'd say at month three or four after producing what was the best newsletter I could I could muster myself, I pretty quickly realized that I needed to do either try to raise money to expand the paid growth of the newsletter or strike some type of partnership in a way that would quickly expand the reach of the audience. So I reached out to pretty pretty much every financial publication that I could think of, had conversations with five or six that went something like, hey, my name's Pat, I'm writing this newsletter. There's a couple hundred people opening it every day, and I think it's going to be the next great thing. And I think maybe by virtue of my background and what they found of the product, you know, a number of those conversations actually had real legs, but they pretty quickly all pivoted into, oh, you should come do this here at our, our publication. And I, after having just mustered the courage to leave my job, kind of wanted to give the real entrepreneurial path a shot. And after having five or six of these conversations, basically landed on a, with the beginnings of a relationship with the Molly Fool, which is a 30 plus year old company that does a very different thing than what I was looking to build, but had a very large audience. And frankly, I'm still stunned at just the power of their, their reach and willingness to kind of engage in my entrepreneurial path. So we struck a, a partnership, a marketing partnership where they promoted the daily upside across some of their channels which again are massive. And that was a major part of our growth story for the next 12 months. In those days where it was just me writing, I'd say 75% of audience growth. And these were, you know, tens of thousands of people joining from their channels. 
And as it happened, it was perfect timing. It was the early days of the pandemic. Markets were absolutely going berserk and people were very focused on financial and business news. I was spending, you know, 15 hours a day writing my financial news product. And guess what people wanted? People wanted to read it. You know, the next 12 months, we probably grew from, you know, a thousand to 30,000, 50,000 readers on that, the coattails of the Molly Fool. And they were all the right readers. They were readers that probably were not reading other financial newsletters that are more geared towards younger folks, of which there are many. So I think I kind of unwittingly stepped into a pretty big amount of white space. And I ended up kind of writing for, I don't want to say writing for older people, but that was the, the core demo. People were more advanced in their careers. And then over, I'll call it like the last 12 months, the evolution of the business has scaled quite a bit. And we're, we're, now that we're generating a lot more revenue, we're, we tip the scales into other activities that we're doing. Much larger scale paid growth across social channels. Obviously, the referral program is a very successful part of, of the story. And we're starting to see a, a lot more organic growth, just people being aware of the daily upside and on Google Analytics. The organic piece is now either a first or second largest channel. Nice. And I want to come on to the, the revenue side of things in a minute. Um, sticking with growth right now, though, can you go a little bit deeper into what those channels are that you're currently using? Is this, are we talking like influencer partnerships? Social, I know, has been been a challenge for people over the last couple of months. Are we, are we talking Facebook, Instagram? Are we talking TikTok? Where are you seeing the best results at the moment? I'd say there hasn't been one channel that's been just an absolute gusher, so to speak. I mean, so we spend a lot of time across all social platforms. I think over the last six months, I think we found TikTok to be a place where you can get a tremendous amount of reach for CPMs that probably look a lot similar to what Facebook and Instagram were like you know, many years ago. And that platform is doing a lot of innovative things where you can partner with actual influencers that people are aware of on their platform, that they can tell the story of your brand in a quick and appealing way, and you can reach millions of people without a massive budget. So we like TikTok, but we still spend a lot and spend a lot of time on other channels. Newsletters, other newsletters have been, you know, continuing massive source of growth. We do both partnerships with other newsletters and we, we buy a lot of ads on other newsletters. And I'm not the first person to have said this, but if someone reads one newsletter, they're much more likely to read another newsletter than someone who just consumes financial news in general. So we'll continue to spend a lot of time on other newsletters as a, as a source. Yeah, definitely. So what are some of the the more important metrics that you're looking at when you're thinking about newsletter growth? I mean, I know you come from a financial background, so I'm, I'm expecting you to have some <laughs> some pretty strong ideas of, you know, of, of what you care about, what's important to you as a business. Yeah, I mean, we have a pretty good sense of what our LTV is, so to speak, of of a reader. And then we also have a pretty good sense of how engaged subscribers are going to be coming in from various channels, whether that's newsletters, we can generally expect those to be the highest engaged of channels we're, we're uh, spending on. And then it kind of goes in, into a range of high quality to, to low quality where the CPA we're willing to stomach on the channel varies based on where the subscribers are coming from. Newsletters are the top of that range. And then we do the social stack goes, goes down from there. And then there's basically, we, we do a lot of analysis to say, all right, is, is this channel performing? How are people actually engaging with the newsletter? Are they opening? Importantly, are they clicking? 
clicking for us as much as we want to move more to, you know, brand type relationships with sponsors. It is a great way to anchor true engagement with all the privacy changes that everyone serves so much about. And basically we, we have a little way of sifting through all that to decide if that money has been well spent or not, but it's a constantly evolving formula. Interesting. Interesting. So we're talking about lifetime value there. Do you think about this stuff in terms of lifetime value or do you think about it more in terms of like a payback period and how are you working out if you're using a payback period, like an acceptable payback period, how, how are you working out what that is? Because that's one of the things that when I talk to, to publishers, especially the larger ones who are doing more kind of, you know, paid acquisition of subscribers, there's a real range in like acceptable payback period. And one of the things that I've always found really interesting from the first time we met was that I did get this sense that you were coming into this very much as a business, whereas other people back at that similar size that you were in terms of audience, they were thinking about this very much as like more of like a hobby. You know, there wasn't much willingness to invest. And I, I think that's one of the reasons looking from the outside why I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it, but one of the reasons I think you've grown so well so quickly is that you did come into this as a business and said, look, I'm willing to pay for new subscribers if if the, re- if the return is there, basically, right? Whereas others are very, very resistant to, to invest into, into audience growth. Look, it's definitely a scary mindset shift, right? To suddenly see a lot, a lot of dollars going out the door, especially as you're, if you've taken the leap to go full time um, and you don't have another salary to to take money that you could be spending on what normally would come from your your salary on growth. It's it's a scary mindset shift. I guess the thing that's different about us is we're a mass market product, whereas you know many many other newsletters are more niche, more targeted, more focused. Perhaps B two B audiences where you don't need hundreds of thousands of subscribers to have a very successful business, and perhaps you have a paid tier that. It makes the economics, you know, just, just changes the economic dynamic of work. We're pretty mass market product. So for, for us, the key has always been scale, but certainly that's not true for every operator. Yeah. So let's maybe talk a little bit about that. You, you touched on not having a paid product. Looking at the revenue at the moment, I think it's it's sponsorship based, right? It's, it's advertising in effect uh, for you. How have you settled on that? I know you're going to touch on you know, it being a mass market thing. If you look at, for example, the hustle, they have their paid trends product that they have on top of the advertising and stuff. Morning Brew, traditionally very advertising focused, now moving heavily into like the education space and courses and events and all that. How did you kind of land on, on advertising to begin with? And do you have plans to maybe rethink that in the future? Are there going to be exciting things coming there? Or is it partners, partners, partners all the way down? I hope definitely exciting things to come. For us, advertising is just the, the easiest thing to get started out of the gate. And we built Despite it being a mass market audience, a definitely an investing focused audience. And there are a lot of platforms, a lot of brands that want to reach that audience. So it has been definitely a, a strong model so far. But I think the thing that's so exciting about a paid product is you can really overnight change your entire calculus of your marketing budget, where the sponsorship only model, your LTV, your payback period is is pretty constrained by how much you can really earn in, in sponsorships over the course of a year or whatever period you're looking at. Whereas you introduce a paid product, you layer on assumptions about how many of your free subscribers will convert. And suddenly it just flips the script on what you're able to spend on paid marketing. And you can be much more aggressive in terms of growth, not only on the paid product, but it also can, can fuel the, the free product as well. So I absolutely think what the hustle did with trends and what Morning Brew appears to be doing 
with uh, the Learning Hub, super exciting, will help propel their businesses forward. I think for us, we still see a lot of growth on the free product, but we absolutely have our, our mindset on building a, a large you know, durable company, which free media means having multiple revenue streams. Nice. Okay. So something coming, but but no details yet. So coming back to the, the, the partnership side, I mean, you mentioned this was obviously, it was you in the early days kind of doing everything. And this is a daily newsletter, so there's a lot of work to be done just getting a decent product out of the door, which is absolutely the most important part. What does the team look like now? How did you kind of scale into the different roles that you would need, basically? What's, what's the, I guess, the, the breakdown of self-funded, I think, right? Bootstrapped, uh, decent dish-sized newsletter first media company to throw a whole load of uh, buzzwords together. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's all generally generally correct. So I, I'd say, so the, the team right now, I guess I go through the evolution of its helpful. Basically, the first thing I needed was more help with producing the actual newsletter. Because as you said, if you are now producing a must-read product, especially with the news product, there's just many, many other sources to get similar content. So if, if you don't have a must-read product, you're really not out of the starting gate. So the first thing I did was try to find a writer, found a, a brilliant writer named Sean Craig, uh, tried and true financial journalist, and he's been with us full-time for around a year. From there... My time shifted a little bit from, obviously it was still focused on content, but trying to grow the revenue side of the business so we could propel other activities, which is where I spent a good amount of time in 2021. Once we were starting to generate more revenue and add a stable of strong partnerships, it's how do you move the, the growth needle? I was spending also a lot of time there, but as with anything, if you have someone focused on it full time, it's going to go a lot better. So that was the next full-time hire. From there, just in the last couple of weeks, we've hired both another full-time writer, continuing to invest in the product, and we have an ad operations associate or brand partnerships person who helps manage the relationships and make sure campaigns are executed flawlessly. Awesome. So it's it's growing into a, a decent-sized team, but still on the content side, I mean, relatively lean. That's that's one one to two people. Two full-time now. I'm still very focused on content, and we're also looking for a managing editor, and we still work with a stable of other contractors who help with some portions of the daily newsletter. And then we also have a weekend newsletter, which is less grounded in news, but you know, significant effort to put together where we're recruiting as well. It's interesting. What what roles have you got open at the moment? What do you what's the, the number one thing that's the hardest to, to fill? I mean it's definitely a competitive hiring environment. I'd say content's always extremely challenging, dire for especially if you're you're trying to build a brand with a very specific voice on the content side. People all come from different writing and editing backgrounds where there are different different styles they've adopted to over the years. So when you have a very spe- very specific voice you're trying to create, that's been by by far the hardest thing to to get right. Look, overall it's 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 absolutely a competitive hiring competitive hiring market and certainly all businesses feel that. Yeah, I bet. So to, to change tack a little bit, you know, we we've talked a lot about kind of what's worked for you so far. Can you share maybe a couple of details on stuff that absolutely has not worked? There's definitely been plenty. I will say we, we do everything pretty, I don't know, slowly is not the right word, but cautiously. So it's not like we've strapped into a big marketing budget and saw, you know, a, a month go down the drain. We we tend to test before going in. It's anything full throttle. So we've tried to limit the losses as much as we could uh, in terms of whatever we're going to experiment with. But I'd say like, real platform spend, which is ultimately a great way to, to scale 
you know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers over the course of the growth of the newsletter has been tough to, uh, tough to nail. So what I mean by that is like giving money to Zuckerberg himself on Facebook versus partnering with creators on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube, whatever channel. So we, we tend to do a lot of direct partnerships. What has not worked very well or struggle to get work is actually launch ads on platform, which of course everyone would, would like to get, to get right because it's something you can just spend more money on and, and, and it scales nicely, but we're still, we're still working on. So I, I'd say that's, it hasn't been a disaster by any stretch, but it's something that we, we want to be able to do and that we're still working on. Nice. How much of that do you think is it just a function of, of you being more of like a, a daily news product and maybe not having the daily, it kind of feels like a secret to me in a lot of ways, right? Like it's, it's not kind of present on social media in the same way that a lot of other newsletters of a similar size are, I would say. So it's, it's, it's almost like a, <laughs> a best kept secret of the, the couple hundred thousand people who, who read it. Do you think that plays a role into it at all? Yeah, I, I absolutely think there is some level of fatigue on how campaigns like that are going to work on social media. I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think with us, it's been the reality that if we can get someone to subscribe to the newsletter and actually open the newsletter, they're going to say, wow, this is pretty great. I understand why both this product exists as, you know, differentiated versus the competition, but I'm actually, I'm wanting to read this. But yeah, I mean, I'd say that there definitely is some fatigue, but I'm overall still very bullish on newsletters as, as a concept. And I just overall, my view there is like, there's still, there's an avalanche of information out there. There's a million sources to get it from. And if you can play the role of trusted curator, it doesn't matter how many newsletters exist. There's, there's going to be a place for a trusted source to sift through everything and say, this is what's worth your time. Here's good insights that you can get from these stories. People are always going to to want to read that. What do you think does make you a, a trusted insight? It's something I'm fascinated by with, you know, this kind of newsletter where it's it's every day, well, weekdays at least, and, and the weekend edition as well, five minutes or so, you've really become a habit in the lives of, of hundreds of thousands of people. And, and you need to with this kind of product, right? It's not something where you can just be a, a once a week or a once a month thing, which is, again, that's fine. There are newsletters that do really, really well with that. But in your space, you have to be a habit. You have to be daily. You have like you have to kind of hook into people's lives in a, in a very, almost like just part of the furniture, right? Part of the, the surroundings way. Can you like distill down what it is about the Daily Upside, about the writing, about the content that has had that effect on people, has just allowed them to very easily just add this into their routine? Yeah, I mean, I guess the way I kind of characterize it is we're just uber focused and like obsessive about every facet of newsletter, like the, the content we put out. It's It's not as if we are whipping this newsletter out the end of the day and ship it out the polling morning. Production started four hours ago with story selection or, or he spent hours every day trying to curate what stories are going to, people are going to come across. So for us, that means a pretty good mix of, we're going to try to find one or two big stories that you might read about in the wall street journal or financial times or Bloomberg that the stories break on the day before. For those, we're going to basically amalgamate all the stories that break across the web, amalgamate all the most interesting details, the deepest, what we call insight into the story. And again, try to couch that on a, on a broader trend and piece together the story for readers in a way that makes them say, 
all right, not only do I understand what happened yesterday, but I understand how it matters more holistically, how I think about the world and trends generally. So that's what we do on kind of like the, the big stories, if you will, try to do. And then we also try to service more niche, nuanced, unique stories that unless like us, you're spending 24 hours a day consuming financial news, you're probably not going to see. So I think even in a sea of you know, however many financial newsletters there are, we're going to surface stories that that I would see elsewhere. We're going to tell them in an interesting and hopefully insightful way. And I think that's kind of what it boils down to is this kind of barbell of providing value on the big stories and then surfacing more interesting niche investing and finance specific stories that you're not likely going to read elsewhere. Awesome. And do you plan on expanding that out into onto other platforms across other kind of formats and media? Are we going to see this distilled into, into TikToks, into YouTube videos, podcasts, something like that? I would keep an eye on our TikTok channel over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I, I think that's the name of the game is you spend so much time on a given story, you, you, you want to give it legs on as many channels as you can to create an echo chamber for the audience where you're, you're building trust across numerous platforms. I think that's time and time again has proven to be a good way to go about it. It's it's not easy to do, which is why, why we haven't done it that well yet. But I think over time, certainly expect to see that. Awesome. That's great. And I guess one last thing to dive into there on the the building of the trust. I mean, with daily newsletters, I mean, it's like I said, not to, to labor the point, but it's hitting your new, your inbox every single day. You've got to either get into the habit or you're going to get pretty annoyed pretty quickly and, <laughs> and leave. How important is like that welcome flow to you? How has that changed over time? What do you think is like the, the most important stuff there? When someone is subscribing for the first, what are the really important elements of that you think that that help convert someone into being a, an engaged and uh, willing subscriber um i guess i mean our, our welcome series is is relatively simple and we didn't agonize over it, it too much and i'm sure we'll, we'll look at it again at some point soon but we just try to give an earnest assessment of what we're doing we didn't throw on too many bells and whistles we said hey this is what we are this is what we do you're going to get this in your inbox every single day. So to be clear, if that's not what you want, if there's a button right here to get rid of us and you'll never see us again. So I guess we're just kind of earnest about what we're doing and what you'll get and people have reacted pretty well to it. I suppose that's one of the nicer things about being kind of very direct and upfront in, in that you're a daily news product is just people know what they're getting when they sign up, right? <laughs> they're not signing up and opting in for some kind of lead magnet and then being being introduced to the newsletter that way. It's that's what it says on the yeah it's, it's it's right there in the name and yeah i mean whenever we get someone to sign up for the newsletter we always direct them to our landing page versus you know trying to create you know forms across the internet or, or you know growth hacky type stuff we say you're going to come to our landing page you're going to you're buying to this messaging our best articulation of what we're trying to do and then when you actually get the first newsletter and say all right this matches what I just signed up for and it will either meet or not meet my expectations of, of, of what it was, but we never hide the ball in terms of how you end up getting the really inside. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear more about how this develops over the, the next couple of months. I'm, I'm sure there will be, be big things coming soon. Where can people find you if they want to follow along, if they want to, to read, follow what you're doing personally, and maybe uh, if they're interested in one of the, the roles that you're currently hiring for, I can think of a lot worse ways to kind of dip into the the newsletter or the media industry and learn some stuff very quick yeah you can either read the daily upside you can you can google us or go to our website www.thedailyupside.com if you want to reach out to me personally 
I am on Twitter. Lewis is, you know, not with a big following, but I am on there sometimes to see what's going on. Shoot me a DM and I'll definitely be responsive. Awesome stuff. Cool. Well, Pat, thanks so much for joining us. I uh, hope everything goes well and hopefully we can have you back on at some point in the future to talk about how things have gone in the meantime. Absolutely, Lewis. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Send and Grow podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three quick ways that you can show your support. Number one, leave us a five-star rating or review in the podcast app of your choice. Number two, email or DM me with some feedback with your questions or with suggestions for future episodes. And finally, number three, share your favorite quote from the episode on social media and tag both me and our guest. All of the links for that are available in the show notes and whatever option you choose, I am really grateful for your support. Thanks and see you next week.